Dialogue twenty three of Dialogues of the Dead. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dialogues of the Dead by George Littleton. Dialogue twenty three. Pericles, read by phone. Cosimo de' Medici, read by Philip Gould in what i have heard of your character and your fortune illustrious cosmo i find a most remarkable resemblance with mine we both lived in republics where the sovereign power was in the people and by mere civil arts but more especially by our eloquence attained without any force to such a degree of authority that we ruled those tumultuous and stormy democracies with an absolute sway turned the tempests which agitated them upon the heads of our enemies and after having long and prosperously conducted the greatest affairs in war and peace died revered and lamented by all our fellow-citizens we have indeed an equal right to value ourselves on that noblest of empires the empire we gained over the minds of our countrymen force or caprice may give power but nothing can give a lasting authority except wisdom and virtue by these we obtained by these we preserved in our respective countries a dominion unstained by usurpation or blood a dominion conferred on us by the public esteem and the public affection we were in reality sovereigns while we lived with the simplicity of private men and athens and florence believed themselves to be free though they obeyed all our dictates this is more than was done by philip of macedon or Scylla, or caesar it is the perfection of policy to tame the fierce spirit of popular liberty not by blows or by chains but by soothing it into a voluntary obedience and bringing it to lick the hand that restrains it the task can never be easy but the difficulty was still greater to me than to you for i had the lion to tame from whose intractable fury the greatest men of my country and of the whole world with all their wisdom and virtue could not save themselves themistocles and aristides were examples of terror that might well have deterred me from the administration of public affairs at athens another impediment in my way was the power of simon who for his goodness his liberality and the lustre of his victories over the persians was much beloved by the people and at the same time by being thought to favour aristocracy had all the noble and rich citizens devoted to his party it seemed impossible to shake so well established a greatness yet by the charms and force of my eloquence which exceeded that of all orators contemporary with me by the integrity of my life my moderation and my prudence but above all by my artful management of the people whose power i increased that i might render it the basis and support of my own i gained such an ascendant over all my opponents that having first procured the banishment of simon by ostracism and then of thucydides another formidable antagonist set up by the nobles against my authority i became the unrivalled chief or rather the monarch of the athenian republic without ever putting to death in above forty years that my administration continued one of my fellow-citizens a circumstance which i declared when i lay on my deathbed to be in my own judgment more honourable to me than all my prosperity in the government of the state or the nine trophies erected for so many victories obtained by my conduct i had also the same happiness to boast of at my death and some additions were made to the territories of florence under my government 
but I myself was no soldier, and the commonwealth I directed was never either so warlike or so powerful as Athens. I must therefore not pretend to vie with you in the luster of military glory, and I will moreover acknowledge that to govern a people whose spirit and pride were exalted by the wonderful victories of Marathon, Michele, Salamis, and Plataea, was much more difficult than to rule the Florentines and the Tuscans. The liberty of the Athenians was in your time more imperious, more haughty, more insolent than the despotism of the king of Persia. How great then must have been your ability and address that could so absolutely reduce it under your power. Yet the temper of my countrymen was not easy to govern, for it was exceedingly factious. The history of Florence is little else for several ages than an account of conspiracies against the state. In my youth I myself suffered much by the dissensions which then embroiled the Republic. I was imprisoned and banished, but after the course of some years my enemies in their turn were driven into exile. I was brought back in triumph, and from that time till my death, which was above thirty years, I governed the Florentines, not by arms or evil arts of tyrannical power, but with a legal authority, which I exercised so discreetly as to gain the esteem of all the neighboring potentates, and such a constant affection of all my fellow citizens, that an inscription, which gave me the title of father of my country, was engraved on my monument by a unanimous decree of the whole commonwealth. Your end was incomparably more happy than mine, for you died rather of age than any violent illness, and left the Florentines in a state of peace and prosperity procured for them by your counsels. But I died of the plague, after having seen it almost depopulate Athens, and left my country engaged in the most dangerous war, to which my advice and the power of my eloquence had excited the people. The misfortunes of the pestilence, with the inconveniences they suffered on account of the war, so irritated their minds that not long before my death they condemned me to a fine. It is wonderful that when once their anger was raised it went no further against you. A favorite of the people when disgraced is in still greater danger than a favorite of a king. Your surprise will increase at hearing that very soon afterwards they chose me their general, and conferred on me again the principal direction of all their affairs. Had I lived, I should have so conducted the war as to have ended it with advantage and honor to my country. For, having secured to her the sovereignty of the sea by the defeat of the Samians, before I let her engage with the power of Sparta, I knew that our enemies would be at length wearied out and compelled to sue for a peace, because the city, from the strength of its fortifications and the great army within it, being on the land side impregnable to the Spartans, and drawing continual supplies from the sea, suffered not much by the ravages of the country about it, from whence I had before removed all the inhabitants, whereas their allies were undone by the descents we made on their coasts. You seem to have understood beyond all other men what advantages are to be drawn from a maritime power, and how to make it the surest foundation of empire. I followed the plan, traced out by Themistocles, the ablest politician that Greece had ever produced. Nor did I begin the Peloponnesian War, as some have supposed, only to make myself necessary, and stop an inquiry into my public accounts. I really thought that the Republic of Athens could no longer defer a contest with Sparta, without giving up to that state the precedence in the direction of Greece and her own independence. To keep off for some time even a necessary war, with the probable hope of making it more advantageously at a favourable opportunity, 
is an act of true wisdom but not to make it when you see that your enemy will be strengthened and your own advantages lost or considerably lessened by the delay is a most pernicious imprudence with relation to my accounts i had nothing to fear i had not embezzled one drachma of public money nor added one to my own paternal estate and the people had placed so entire a confidence in me that they allowed me against the usual forms of their government to dispose of large sums for secret service without account when therefore i advised the peloponnesian war i neither acted from private views nor with the inconsiderate temerity of a restless ambition but as became a wise statesman who having weighed all the dangers that may attend a great enterprise and seeing a reasonable hope of good success makes it his option to fight for dominion and glory rather than sacrifice both to the uncertain possession of an insecure peace how were you sure of inducing so volatile a people to persevere in so steady a system of conduct as that which you had laid down a system attended with much inconvenience and loss to particulars while it presented but little to strike or inflame the imagination of the public bold and arduous enterprises great battles much bloodshed and a speedy decision are what the multitude desire in every war but your plan of operation was the reverse of all this and the execution of it required the temper of the thebans rather than of the athenians i found indeed many symptoms of their impatience but i was able to restrain it by the authority i had gained for during my whole ministry i never had stooped to court their favour by any unworthy means never flattered them in their follies nor complied with their passions against their true interests and my own better judgment but used the power of my eloquence to keep them in the bounds of a wise moderation to raise their spirits when too low and show them their danger when they grew too presumptuous the good effects of which conduct they had happily experienced in all their affairs whereas those who succeeded to me in the government by their incapacity their corruption and their servile complaisance to the humour of the people presently lost all the fruits of my virtue and prudence xerxes himself i am convinced did not suffer more by the flattery of his courtiers than the athenians after my decease by that of their orators and ministers of state those orators could not gain the favour of the people by any other methods your arts were more noble they were the arts of a statesman and of a prince your magnificent buildings which in beauty of architecture surpassed any the world had ever seen the statues of phidias the paintings of zeuxis the protection you gave to knowledge genius and abilities of every kind added as much to the glory of athens as to your popularity and in this i may boast of an equal merit to florence for i embellished that city and the whole country about it with excellent buildings i protected all arts and though i was not myself so eloquent or so learned as you i no less encouraged those who were eminent in my time for their eloquence or their learning marcilius Fincanus, the second father of the platonic philosophy lived in my house and conversed with me as intimately as anaxagoras with you nor did i ever forget and suffer him so to want the necessities of life as you did anaxagoras who had like to have perished by that unfriendly neglect but to secure him at all times from any distress in his circumstances and enable him to pursue his sublime speculations unmolested by low cares i gave him an estate adjacent to one of my favourite villas 
i also drew to florence argiropolo the most learned greek of those times that under my patronage he might teach the florentine youth the language and sciences of his country but with regard to our buildings there is this remarkable difference yours were all raised at the expense of the public mine at my own my estate would bear no profuseness nor allow me to exert the generosity of my nature your wealth exceeded that of any particular or indeed of any prince who lived in your days the vast commerce which after the example of your ancestors you continue to carry on in all parts of the world even while you presided at the helm of the state enabled you to do those splendid acts which rendered your name so illustrious but i was constrained to make the public treasure the fund of my bounties and i thought i could not possibly dispose of it better in time of peace than in finding employment for that part of the people which must else have been idle and useless to the community introducing into greece all the elegant arts and adorning my country with works that are an honour to human nature for while i attended the most to these civil and peaceful occupations i did not neglect to provide with timely care against war nor suffered the nation to sink into luxury and effeminate softness i kept our fleets in continual exercise maintained a great number of seamen in constant pay and disciplined well our land forces nor did i ever cease to recommend to all the athenians both by precepts and example frugality temperance magnanimity fortitude and whatever could most effectually contribute to strengthen their bodies and minds yet i have heard you condemned for rendering the people less sober and modest by giving them a share of the conquered lands and paying them wages for their necessary attendance in the public assemblies and other civil functions but more especially for the vast and superfluous expense you entailed on the state in the theatrical spectacles with which you entertained them at the cost of the public perhaps i may have been too lavish in some of those bounties yet in a popular state it is necessary that the people should be amused and should so far partake of the opulence of the public as not to suffer any want which would render their minds too low and sordid for their political duties in my time the revenues of athens were sufficient to bear this charge but afterwards when we had lost the greatest part of our empire it became i must confess too heavy a burden and the continuance of it proved one cause of our ruin it is a most dangerous thing to load the state with largesses of that nature or indeed with any unnecessary but popular charges because to reduce them is almost impossible though the circumstances of the public should necessarily demand a reduction but did you not likewise in order to advance your own greatness throw into the hands of the people of athens more power than the institutions of solon had entrusted them with and more than was consistent with the good of the state we are now in the regions where truth presides and i dare not offend her by playing the orator in defence of my conduct i must therefore acknowledge that by weakening the power of the court of areopagus i tore up that anchor which solon had wisely fixed to keep his republic firm against the storms and fluctuations of popular factions this alteration which fundamentally injured the whole state i made with a view to serve my own ambition the only passion in my nature which i could not contain within the limits of virtue for i knew that my eloquence would subject the people to me and make them the willing instruments of all my desires whereas the areopagus had in it an authority and a dignity which i could not control thus by diminishing the counterpoise our constitution had settled to moderate the excess of popular power i augmented my own 
but since my death i have been often reproached by the shades of some of the most virtuous and wisest athenians who have fallen victims to the caprice or fury of the people with having been the first cause of injustice they suffered and of all the mischiefs perpetually brought on my country by rash undertakings bad conduct and fluctuating counsels they say i delivered up the state to the government of indiscreet or venal orators and the passions of a misguided infatuated multitude who thought their freedom consistent in encouraging calumnies against the best servants of the commonwealth and conferring power upon those who had no other merit than falling in with and soothing a popular folly it is useless for me to plead that during my life none of these mischiefs were felt that i employed my rhetoric to promote none but good and wise measures that i was as free from any taint of avarice or corruption as aristides himself they replied that i am answerable for all the great evils occasioned afterwards by the want of that salutary restraint on the natural levity and extravagance of a democracy which i had taken away socrates calls me the patron of anytus and solon himself frowns upon me whenever we meet solon has reason to do so for tell me pericles what opinion would you have of the architect you employed in your buildings if he had made them to last no longer than during the term of your life the answer to your question will turn to your own condemnation your excessive liberalities to the indigent citizens and the great sums you lent to all the noble families did in reality buy the republic of florence and gave your families such a power as enabled them to convert it from a popular state into an absolute monarchy the florentines were so infested with discord and faction and their commonwealth was so void of military virtue that they could not have long been exempt from a more ignominious subjection to some foreign power if those internal dissensions with the confusion and anarchy they produced had continued but the athenians had performed very glorious exploits had obtained a great empire and were become one of the noblest states in the world before you altered the balance of their government and after that alteration they declined very fast till they lost all their greatness their constitution had originally a foul blemish in it i mean the ban of ostracism which alone would have been sufficient to undo any state for there is nothing of such important use to a nation as that men who most excel in wisdom and virtue should be encouraged to undertake the business of government but this detestable custom deterred such men from serving the public or if they ventured to do so turned even their own wisdom and virtue against them so that in athens it was safer to be infamous than renowned we are told indeed by the advocates for this strange institution that it was not a punishment but meant as a guard to the equality and liberty of the state for which reason they deem it an honour done to the persons against whom it was used as if words could change the real nature of things and make a banishment of ten years inflicted on a good citizen by the suffrages of his countrymen no evil to him or no offence against justice and a natural right every freeman may claim that he shall not be expelled from any society of which he is a member without having first been proved guilty of some criminal action the ostracism was indeed a most unpardonable fault in the athenian constitution it placed envy in the seat of justice and gave to private malice and public ingratitude a legal right to do wrong other nations are blamed for tolerating vice but the athenians alone would not tolerate virtue the friends to the ostracism say that too eminent virtue destroys that equality which is the safeguard of freedom 
no state is well modeled if it cannot preserve itself from the danger of tyranny without a grievous violation of natural justice nor would a friend to true freedom which consists in being governed not by men but by laws desire to live in a country where a cleon bore rule and where an aristides was not suffered to remain but instead of remedying this evil you made it worse you rendered the people more intractable more adverse to virtue less subject to the laws and more to impressions from mischievous demagogues than they had been before your time in truth i did so and therefore my place in elysium notwithstanding the integrity of my whole public conduct and the great virtues i excited is much below the rank of those who have governed commonwealths or limited monarchies not merely with a concern for their present advantage but also with a prudent regard to that balance of power on which their permanent happiness must necessarily depend end of dialogue twenty three